If you have your Bible, I invite you to Joshua chapter 13. Uh, The front of the bulletin is not a misprint. Uh, We are going to get through several, several chapters today. In a moment, you will see why. Um, Actually, there were five points in the sermon in the first service. I only made it to four, so we'll get to those same four in this service too. I just wanted you to know. We have been journeying through the book of Joshua, and just in case this is your first time, or maybe you're just catching up with us here real quickly, God delivers the people out of Egypt um, by his mighty hand. They cross the Red Sea, wander in the wilderness, disobey God. So there's 40 years where they uh, spent wandering around, kind of traipsing around in the wilderness. The generation that was faithless died off. And the, uh, the faithful generation arose. Joshua leads that generation into the promised land across the Jordan River. They uh, win at Jericho, they lose, and then win at Ai, and then they conquer a bunch of kings along the way. And that's kind of where we're picking up here in this story. In Joshua 13, the story of Joshua actually begins to wind down. Um, now, there's a lot of text between chapter 13 and about chapter 19 where we're going to um, stop today. But and there's a lot of text in there, but the story itself begins to wind down because this section of Scripture is mostly about how God fulfills uh, the, the, the first verse in, in Joshua 13. And so if you will, look at chapter 13, verse 1. Joshua 13, verse 1. Uh, now Joshua was old and advanced in years. And the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years. I love that. Thank you, God, for telling it like it is. Thanks for putting me in my place. Thanks for letting people know that I'm old and advanced in years. Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, you're old and advanced in years, and there remains yet very much land to possess. There remains land yet still that you need to step out and go into. And so for about the next six chapters or so, Joshua, the, the, the text of Joshua kind of unfolds what's happening here. God is going to use Joshua and the people of Israel to spread out over the rest of the land and to do that. And so, um, as I said, I, I, it, originally I wanted just to think about five things together for time's sake. Everybody say amen to that. Um, we're just going to do four this morning. Uh, as I read and read and read and read and reread and reread and reread all of these places, I mean, all of these chapters, uh, these are the four things that stood out. Number one, when we're talking about this, we're talking about a real place, a real place. This was my temptation, okay? I'm going to read it just like I read it multiple times this week. This is my temptation. Can we start in verse two? Look at verse two. Uh, This is This is the land that yet remains. All the regions of the Philistines and all those of the Geshurites from the Shehor, which is east of Egypt, northward to the boundary of Ekron. It's counted as Canaanite. There are five rulers of the Philistines, those of Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron, and those of the Avaim in the south, and the land that belongs to the Canaanites, and the Meorah belongs to the... Do you get what I'm saying here? Like, I could just skip all of that part. Like, it's like Charlie Brown's teacher. That's how I felt multiple times when I was reading this. Um, but there's this kind of thing here. I mean, we're talking about a real land, a real place. These towns were actual towns that people had residence in, and then uh, the people of Israel came in and they took up residence in this. And then 
Uh, These scriptures will actually pop up, and they're in the notes. If you want to go get them on the website, uh, they'll be up this afternoon. Uh, But just just in in chapter 15, verse 1, the allotment for the tribe of the people of Judah. In chapter 16, verse 1, the allotment of the people of Joseph that went from Jordan to Jericho. Uh, In chapter 18, uh, verse 11, The lot of the tribe of the people of Benjamin. Chapter 19, verse 1. The second lot came out for the people of Simeon, for the tribe of the people of Simeon. In chapter 19, verse 10, the third lot came up for the people of Zebulun. In 17, the fourth lot came up for the Issachar, and on and on and on. All of those verses that are listed there are about God assigning land to people. And what I want to say to you is this was a very real place. I could get lost. I know this wouldn't happen to you. I could get lost in all the names I couldn't pronounce. But the thing we have to remember, this is a very real place. And I say that to say this to you. You and I have a very real place that we get to live. I mean, there's something wonderfully terrestrial and tangible about the place where we get to live, the place where we get to drive and do our grocery shopping, the place where we get to go and sit and watch soccer games or go watch baseball games or wherever. It's a very, very real place. And in the midst of all of these things, all of these names, all of these assignments, all of these uh, uh, ways that God doled this stuff out, don't get lost that this this is a real place. Here's one of the things. It may not be an easy place. For some of these folks, when you do the the map survey and you're like, okay, so where is this? Here to here to here. Some of these places, it's rolling hills and green and lush and wonderful. Who's not for that, right? And then some of them are rocky and mountainous. and It's not necessarily an easy place. The place where God has you. It may be, at least at this point, Rolling green hills and wonderful. It may be mountainous and rocky and hard. It doesn't have to be an easy place for it to be God's place for you. We love this verse in Jeremiah 29. You know this verse? Jeremiah 29. Let's just hold on to this. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. Everybody, who's heard that verse before in here? Who's laid hold of that verse when you're in transition or uh, you know, stepping into a next stage of life or a move or where? You're like, hey, God, I know that you've got plans, and I'm counting that that promise that was uh, declared to them will also in some measure be true for me, and so I'm counting on you doing good things. Jeremiah 29, 11, we put it on our coffee cups. We make a little frame for it and stick it on our refrigerator. Everybody loves that verse. The problem with 29, 11 is that 29, 1 through 10 come before it. Anybody know the context? Jeremiah writes a letter to the people in exile, meaning they've been kicked out of that land, and the letter goes something like this. Hey, it's Jeremiah. The Lord has spoken to me. You're going to live there for 70 years. Bummer. So, build houses, get married, have kids, plant gardens, and be a blessing where you are. That's, that's Jeremiah 29, 1 through 10. And then it comes down to, because God is saying to you that he knows that he has plans for you, the plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. 
Everybody wants to lay hold of 2911. You forget that it sits dead in the middle of one of the toughest uh, uh, texts in Jeremiah for you and I to take in. Because we live in this kind of Christian world where we think, we think that God wants us to be comfortable and prosperous and all this kind of stuff. And God's saying, hey, the place where I have you, your place, my place, it may not be an easy place. In this text right here, there are some that were super easy. Be grateful if that's you. Right now, if, this is, if your place is the easy place, be grateful. There are some that are difficult. It's your place, and it's a very real place. Second part under this is that along the way here, don't, don't get robbed. Don't get robbed. And here's what I mean. Um, as these people were taking care of this, and as these people were uh, working this out, as, as Joshua was moving the people and leading the people to possess the land, while you're getting there, don't get robbed. You and I get robbed, they got robbed of, of, of a lot when they're looking backwards towards Egypt. You remember this? Oh, I wish we were in Egypt. We, at least we were settled there. Or, or they're wishing that something else was different. When you and I are looking at what was or wishing for something else, that robs us of where God has us right now. It robs us of what he is showing us right now. It robs us of how he is using us right now. And it robs us of what he has given us right now. And when we are either looking backward, oh, I wish it was, or longing, wishing for something else, that will either paralyze us or prevent us from being useful to God in the moment where we are. Paralyze us, well, I don't know if I'm that guy anymore. Or, um, well, I, I just wish this were easier, therefore I'm not so sure I can do this. Uh, prevent us from ministry may sound something like this. Um, well, I'm just wishing and wishing and wishing, and because I'm doing all this wishing, I actually miss out on the opportunities that are right before me. I'm so blinded by what I wish was that I cannot see what actually is. And church family, listen to me. If you hear one thing out of this first point this morning, hear this. God doesn't bless the life, our lives that were. And he doesn't bless our lives that we wish were. What life does he actually bless and use? The life we have right now. And for some of us, that's easy, green, rolling pastures. And for some of us, that's rocky and hard. But God's not going to bless you outside of the actual circumstances in which you are really living. It's a real place in which he has set you. And in that moment, that life, that right there, that's what he wants to use. That, that is the place in which he wants to use you. And that is the life that he wants to bless. Secondly, not only is it a real place, you actually go there with, the, uh, uh, there's real people involved. Real people. Look at verse 7. Let's start at the end of verse 6. Uh, all the inhabitants of the hill country from Lebanon to Misrephoth, Maim, even all the Sidonians. Here we go. I myself will drive them out from before the people of Israel. There's people right there. Only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance as I've commanded you. He says, verse 7, now therefore divide this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and the half tribe of Manasseh. Just to jog our memory a little bit, uh, Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh, they stayed on the east side of the Jordan. We'll talk about them in a couple of weeks. Um, uh, but half the other half tribe of Manasseh and all the others, uh, they were on the west side of the Jordan. And so that's why there's nine and a half. That's what we're doing there. And, and the point is this, that these are real people. Not only do they have real places, but these are the real people. And when we say this, there's two things. Number one, um, it's a, it's a, you get to go there with the real people. These people, when they journeyed, 
They were walking beside people that they knew. They're like, hey, Bob, uh, did you hear what we got? Yeah, we got that town. Well, let's go. Let's go figure this out together. Hey, Sally, can't wait to see your new house. You know, I mean, like this is them. This is what they're doing. And so uh, you and I have the opportunity to journey also with some real people. We call them family. We call them friends. We call them brothers and sisters in Christ. We call them all sorts of names, um, aunts and uncles and, and, and uh, mentors and, and people that we're pouring into, people that we're investing in. Whoever they are, we get to journey with them. We get to journey with real people. Don't miss that. Secondly, we also go there for a people. Now, in Joshua's case and the people of Israel's case, they had an intention. So far, the intention has been what? They show up at a city, and what's the intention been? Take the city out, right? If you pan the camera back, it's not so much about the bloodshed that happens as it is about this. There is a darkness in the land that God wants to deal with. Some of you are thinking, I have some people in my life I'd like to just go ahead and take out. That's okay. Paying the camera back. This is not that. They were sent to destroy. You and I are sent to bless. The issue is still the same though. What? There is darkness in the land that needs to be dealt with. And God is sending the light of the world. Who's the light of the world according to Matthew 5? Who is it? You and me. Jesus said, we are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. And because there is darkness still in the land, he's sending us into that place. We're going there with the people. We get to journey along with folks. And we're going there for a people. Because the people there who have darkness existing in their lives, guess what they need? They need Jesus. And so just to be very clear about this, this passage from Acts 17 is so helpful to me. And he made from one man every nation of mankind. So how many nations did he make? He made all of them, okay? To live on all the face of the earth, here we go, having determined their allotted periods, their time frames, and the boundaries of their dwelling place. So just pause here before we finish the the verse. You are living where you're living because God wants you living where you're living. The address that you have in League City or the address that you have in Webster or the address that you have in Friendswood or Pearland or whatever your zip code is, the places where you get to live, whether you're living in Magnolia Creek or, or, or um, uh, up in Bay Area or back there in Heritage Park or wherever it may be, the address that God has for you is an address that he specifically gave you. And he specifically gave you because you get to go with a people and you get to go for a people. There are people who are living around you that God wants to influence. So he appointed, it says, he determined a lot of periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, what? That they should seek God. God has you there and he has your neighbors there for the exact same reason. And what is that? That we would all seek God. And your neighbors, boy, They seek all sorts of gods, right? I mean, you think about some of the gods that they seek, comfort and pleasure and, um, you know, all these other things. Man, they need to know that there's a true God. They need to know that there's a true God. Just pause here. Yeah, but, I mean, I got some, I I have some neighbors, and then I've got some neighbors. The dog, 1 a.m., like neighbors, neighbors. Neighbors who leave their trash cans out for three days. You know, I mean, neighbors. Neighbors. Yelling. The closed doors. I still hear them yelling. Neighbors. 
God put you there and put them there so that y'all all would do what? Seek God. How will they know about the one true God? He put you there for that reason. Your street, your address is a mission field. The place where you live is a mission field. And so your neighbors are there that they should seek God. That's the one thing you have in common with them is that you and they are there for the same reason, the same purpose, that they would seek God. They seek a lot of other gods. That's 100% true. But they need help finding the true God. And listen, so often the true God, the truth of who God is becomes clear when it crosses the bridge of relationship. You're there for that reason. God sent you with a people, and he sent you for a people. These are real people. And wherever we see darkness, it's good for the light of the world to step in. Number three. Uh, I, I use the phrase, it's a little overused these days, but I didn't know what else to say. Zero tolerance. It, it is loaded with all sorts of implications, just... Zero tolerance. Here's what we're talking about. When we're talking about zero tolerance, we're talking about zero tolerance for sin in my own life and in the lives of those people that I'm responsible for. Skip down to verse 13, chapter 13, verse 13. And again, we'll go through a couple here and the verses will just, the references will pop up. 13, 13. Yet the people of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites or the Makathites. Uh, or, the, or uh, excuse me, but Gesher and Makath uh, dwell in the midst of Israel to this day. So they were supposed to get it all done, and what happened? They didn't get it done. Turn to the right here, a couple pages for me. It's chapter 15, verse 63. Chapter 15, verse 63, the very last verse of chapter 15. But the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the people of Judah, could not drive out. So the Jebusites dwell with the people of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. King David had to come along and drive out the Jebusites from Jerusalem much later. Um, 16, verse 10. However, they did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites have lived in the midst of Ephraim to this day, but have been made to do forced labor. And one more, 17, verse 12. Yet the people of Manasseh could not take possession of those cities. But the Canaanites persisted in dwelling in that land. And here's the thing. When I was reading through this and multiple times, I, just, I underlined those passages and wrote out to the side, unfinished work, unfinished work, unfinished work. And when it comes to you and me tolerating darkness in the midst of our own hearts, in the midst of our own dwelling, in the midst of our own lives, guess what? We have some unfinished work. The question is whether or not we will continue to fight against that because the, the, the tendency or, or the temptation is to just say, hey, hey, listen, you know, I mean, it's just, like, I'll just live with this. I'll just figure out how to live with this. I know there's a pattern in my life, or there's a, this tendency in my life, or there's this habit that I have in my, like, I'll just live with it, though. I'll just live with it. Don't tolerate that. Anytime there's darkness in your world, don't tolerate that. Fight against it. The call is always to fight against it. Don't make excuses for it. Here are some. Just see if these ring true with anybody. <clears throat> If, if I'm experiencing darkness in my world, in my life, my own personal life, I may say this, who am I going to be without it, though? I mean, like, if I hand this over, who am I going to be without this? I've never known life without this. Who am I going to be without it? How about this one? Um, if I'm really honest, 
I kind of like this. So why would I turn this over? Why would I fight against this? I kind of like it. Hey, listen. Here's a third one. Hey, listen. It's not hurting anybody. I mean, really. It's just my own personal stuff, and it's not hurting anybody. Don't ever believe. I mean, don't ever believe that. Don't ever. Or this last one. Listen. Everybody's doing it. What's Help me understand why this is a big deal again, because everybody's doing it. When we make excuses like that, instead of taking up the sword and fighting against um, the darkness in our lives, when we make excuses like that, here's what happens. Sin, um, this, this toleration of sin, tolerated sin, it will keep us from the abundant life. Jesus said this, um, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that you might have life and might have it to the full or might have it abundantly. That's John 10, verse 10. And when we tolerate this darkness and tolerate this sin in our lives instead of fighting against it, guess what? We're on the agenda of steal, kill, and destroy instead of on the agenda of life and life to the full. We, when we tolerate this sin in our lives, that's what happens. Now, I want to be clear here because I just I know personally it, this is not a matter of being perfect every time. Will we fight against sin and lose sometimes? Yes. If you think otherwise, you may need to find a different church because everybody, everybody else in here is imperfect. We will fight and we will lose. Good news, though, Jesus is in the business of forgiving sin and transforming people and making them new. So when we fight and we lose, he helps us pick up the pieces. We confess our sin to him. Jesus doesn't shake his finger. He goes, thank you. For, let's talk about that. I forgive you. Now let's figure out how to do this better next time. Let's make you a new person. Jesus is in. If you're in here and this, this week you fought against sin and loss, good news. Jesus is in the business of taking your sin and forgiving you of your sin and making you new. That's good news to me. Nobody else? Okay, it's good news to me. I'll just start here. Great news me. Uh, <clears throat> if, if you and I were to tolerate sin, though, man, that darkness would remain. We don't want the darkness to remain. Tolerated sin will keep you from the abundant life that Jesus gives. It's just maybe a couple of places of darkness. Just see if this rings true with anybody. Um, out of this drive, and it's a, it's a good, God-given, innate drive. Out of this innate drive or need for justice, comes some really bad stuff like misplaced anger, contempt towards people or classes or races or whatever, bitterness, unforgiveness, and even impulses towards revenge. The drive for justice is good. But instead of us going, okay, God, you're the God of justice. You're the God who can execute this way better than I can. We, we take up anger and contempt and bitterness and unforgiveness and, and revenge, and we try to take that on our own. That's a place of darkness. Another place of darkness. Because we desire comfort. Again, that's a God-given thing in us. Because we desire comfort, um, we turn typically towards one or two places, at least in our little setting, our little corner of the world, uh, we turn towards greed or we turn towards gluttony. And I know nobody in here struggles with either of those things, but I just wanted to name them in case you knew somebody outside of the building who might struggle with them. Greed. Man, if I could just have that thing, that, my life would be so much better. Gluttony. 
I'm not feeling so great right now. Hey, you know what would make it better? Bluebell two-step ice cream. And that drive for comfort puts in us this darkness. It, it, it expresses itself. And if we're not careful, that would get us. Last one. Just see if, again, if it rings true. Because we seek security. We seek justice, and therefore we have anger and contempt and unforgiveness and bitterness and revenge. We seek comfort, so we find something new or try to eat something to help us feel better. Because we seek security, instead of turning to God and saying, God, I believe what you say about me to be true, and I'm going to fight for that. I'm going to fight to believe what you say about me to be true. Instead of that, instead of seeking security in him, um, in what he says about us, we seek security in what we can say about others. And so we become very self-righteous. Well, at least I'm not like that guy. And we become very judgmental. Well, at least that struggle is not my struggle. In our world, listen to me, church family, in our world, there are two things that so need to happen in this cultural mess and melee that we're in. One is the church needs to be crystal clear. There is a clarity that is needed in our day. And secondly, right alongside that, walking hand in hand with that clarity is a compassion for people who are broken. Not self-righteousness and not judgmental. Very clear about what the Bible says and compassionate for the people that the Bible speaks to. God, I just feel like it landed in here. Don't tolerate darkness in your life. Number four, and this is where we'll end, finish well. Uh, back up, if you will, or at least I turn the page. Chapter 14. Chapter 14. Look at verse 6. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal. This is chapter 14, verse 6. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, and Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me. Just pause here. So we're up to speak, Caleb. Ten spies go, or excuse me, twelve spies go into the land. Ten spies come back with a bad report, right? Two come back with a good report. Who are the two? Joshua and Caleb. Okay, so the reason we remember Joshua and Caleb and don't remember the other ten is because they were faithful to God and these other ten weren't. The, uh, you know, ten to two was the vote. Majority can rule. They're not always right. That never applies in our day, I understand, but just in case. All right, all right. It's as political as I'm going to get right there. Verse 7. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, yet, and may this be said of you and me, yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. What a testimony. What an epitaph. Verse 9, and Moses swore on that day, saying, surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and for your children forever. Because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Caleb wasn't bragging. Moses recognized it too. Verse 10. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years. So just so quick math. He was 40 years old when this went down, and 45 years since. He's, thank you for the math people out there. Okay, 85. These 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, this day I'm 85 years old. There's a lot of miles on that tires. 
right, on those tires of his. A lot of miles. Listen to what he says. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength, my strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So now, give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim, giants, right? The big people. Goliath was a, 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 a descendant. How the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. So clear. 85-year-old guy walks up, cane on one hand, sword in the other. He looks at Joshua's like, hey, what's up, man? I'm 85. Give me the hill country. Don't you want the plain, the easy going? No, 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 no. Give me the hill country. You know, Caleb, there's Anakim there, like big giant fellas. I know. I think the Lord's going to be with me. I'm 85. Let's get this done. Oh, for some of you with some miles on your tires to look at something still to be done and go, I got my cane and I got my sword. Let's get to it. The, the temptation, especially for some of those who are in the latter stages of life, the temptation is to look back on what was. And Caleb is looking at what remains. Oh, we still got work to do. I'm, I'm going to think about what remains to do, not what was. Here's my cane. Here's my sword. Come on. Let's go. And when he does so, when he's thinking about what remains and, and, and instead of what was, he's not buying into what sometimes we do uh, is that kind of glory days. Oh, well, back in the day, man, it was so good. Listen, the best stuff is still yet to come if you're a Christian. Is that true? I'm sorry. Is that true? I will get up here and preach until I just... I said there were only four points. We'll go ahead and take the fifth one if you don't talk back to me, all right? The best is yet to come. Is that true? So because we're not looking backward and thinking about what remains, then we have the opportunity. We've got this kind of energy and hope that moves us forward, that moves us out. And for some of you um, in those latter stages of life who are thinking, okay, now we're tired. What are we going to do? There's still stuff to be done. There's hill country with giants. Grab your cane, grab your sword. There's work to be done. There's still work to be done. So take up your sword, and with your goal in mind, get after it. Um, re do remember that you don't have to do this alone. Chapter 15, Caleb comes up after conquering some cities. He comes up to a city named Debir, and he says, Hey, listen, anybody who goes and conquers Debir gets to marry my daughter. It's a weird way to have an arrangement, but he's like, okay. So his nephew goes, does that, and that kind of works out. Uh, uh, there's, that's what happens in chapter 15. You're not going to do this alone. You don't feel like you have to go blazing a trail out there. That's not, that's not the point. Here's the point, though. Why are we talking about Caleb in chapter 14 of Joshua? Because in the last stages of his life, he was still setting the pace and setting an example for all of the rest of us to follow. 85 years old. A couple of you close to that in here. Some of you not so much, but listen. 85 years old. He's still setting the pace, still setting the example. And if, man, hear me. If you have <clears throat> some more experience than others in this life, 
we need you to inspire us like Caleb did and to be a model for us like Caleb is. Don't check out. Don't check out. There are generations coming behind you that need you, that need you. We need examples. We need role models. God has you in a real place. He has you with a real people, as difficult as they may be sometimes. And listen, they have darkness, no doubt. Don't tolerate that darkness in your own life. We're not talking about somebody else's stuff. We're talking about your own life. And man, if you've got the opportunity, finish well. Finish well. Keep moving forward. Because the best still is yet to come. I'm going to pray, okay?